What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. There it is. Today, sitting across the way, I have Jill Johns, which is uh, an absolute pleasure to actually finally be able to have a podcast with you because we've been talking about this probably for about, I don't know, five, five or years. Five years. Has it been that long? I think so. Uh, I met you out at your compound way yeah. back when, and it's been a phenomenal experience to see you grow uh, and interested in some of the recent experiences that you've had Yay. at a festival that many people know called Burning Man. Yes, yes. My favorite place to be on the planet. Fantastic. So uh, for maybe set the stage for the audience, tell me a little bit about kind of uh, your uh, experience through kind of entrepreneurship, sure. uh, where you're at right now. Yep. And of course, we got to dig into the, the good stuff. Let's of talk about it. What Burning yeah. Man is and that sort of thing. So, so yeah. So I am. I consider myself a recovering corporate executive. So I, you know, um, after college, um, ultimately ended up in a corporate environment doing process improvement, leadership development, and um, there were aspects of it that I loved, but aspects of it that totally like sucked my soul from my body. Um, and had friends that were entrepreneurs, but I never felt brave enough to leave the safety or the perceived safety of a corporate environment to actually be an entrepreneur. Um, so luckily for me, I was forced out of uh, corporate life based on a layoff. And I figured it was then or never to actually take the leap into entrepreneurship. When was that? When was that? That was in 2013. Mm -hmm. So April of 2013. Did, did you feel like, do you remember that moment in time? How did that, yeah. like, emotionally, how were you? Emotionally, I would have never, like I said, I would never been brave enough to actually quit corporate life because I was a vice president. I was making bank, um, you know, in a good position, loved what I was doing. And also I had previously been a single mom. So at that time I was married. And so, you know, it was different. But I had spent so many years being a single mom mm -hmm. that the idea of taking the risk of being an entrepreneur versus having the perceived safety of being in a corporate role felt like the right thing to do for my family. Mm. And so I would have never chosen to leave corporate America. And also I was raised, you know, my family's values were that you get a job with a 401k and health insurance and you do that until you die or mm. retire. And so for me, being an entrepreneur was not part of the family fabric, was not, you know, encouraged in any way, shape or form. But I was surrounded by entrepreneurs. My best friend and her husband were entrepreneurs. And they kept looking at me like, why the heck are you wasting your time in corporate America? You need to be an entrepreneur. And so I got a a lot of pressure from her and from them in a good way to be brave enough to be an entrepreneur and so you know when I was forced out of corporate it was like okay well time to give this a shot and then to keep going I mean I had some of the safety and security of being married at that time with a spouse who had a job that could provide the health insurance and the 401k mm -hmm. so it felt like Okay, if I'm gonna try to do this entrepreneurship thing, let's do it now. Uh huh. And how how was that? Uh, it was um, 
An interesting journey. I, I'm a grinder, you know, I'm a, I'm a worker, I'm type A. And so I was like, okay, I can do this. Plus I was the, um, what I, what I did when I first got out of corporate was I uh, ran a home improvement magazine. And so um, it was an actual print magazine, which is unusual for being in the mid 2000s. But my target audience were homeowners and homeowners of a certain demographic. So having something in collateral and sure. in print made sure. sense then. Um, and I was replicating a successful business of a business advisor, an entrepreneur that was willing to coach me through the process and let okay. me like start my own business, but basically replicate his process. Understood. And so I had a little bit of um, infrastructure, I had a little bit of support, and then a lot of latitude to try to tap into the Savannah market to be able to make that happen. And it was a really fun, scary, overwhelming, thrilling, exhausting ride for about a year and a half. Um, and then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. And so I had just gotten the business to the point where it was profitable. I had gotten it where my processes were really clicking and everything was working. And then all of a sudden this like major health scare. Um, and as you know, as an entrepreneur, like it's on you. Right. So it's on you to keep it going, to make it go, all that kind of stuff. And um, I I kept grinding. I kept going. That's actually when I started working at Big. So um, I started working at Big while I was still being you know, treated for cancer and still running my business. But I was like, man, I'm not sure that how, I have. How, how did you find, mm -hmm. you know, because this is something that obviously it's 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 an illness right yes. like it's yep. something that you have to you know go to therapy for like yeah. you have to you know get the treatments for so yeah. and so on how did you find mm -hmm. the strength to continue to work even through all of kind of like the struggles that you were experiencing um denial and that was my life pre-therapy right so it was just like oh when shit happens you just dig J harder mm. you grind more you put yourself on the back burner you ignore your needs and what you have to do and you put you know your business and your your profits and you know your consumers and your clients and your customers first mm -hmm. um which is ironic now because that's the antithesis of how i lead my life mm. and so it really is that experience that happened to me and for me that has made me the entrepreneur that i am now yeah and the person that i am now so i always tell people that the my cancer diagnosis was the best thing that ever could wow. possibly happened to me as far as shifting my priorities and perspectives and that's something that's huge within entrepreneurship Completely. is that things happen yep. like you can't control those mm -hmm. things the only thing you can control is the way that you perceive them yes. and the fact that you're able to shift that and yeah. look at it in a different lens and let it be a positive rather than a negative yeah. i think that that's that's a gym well and you so you you've met me now at space to thrive which is my current like you know retreat center um work but space to thrive came out of my cancer diagnosis so okay. that became that became my new entrepreneurial journey okay so because i'd been in corporate because i'd been doing leadership development because i'd been doing retreats and offsites for executives and managers and leaders and all that kind of stuff for years in corporate and then i got this cancer diagnosis um i then transferred my skills of retreats and offsites for executives and started offering retreats and offsites for cancer survivors, their caregivers, and their loved wow. ones. Okay. And so I took all those tools that I had and all those resources that I knew that I had from my corporate environment, plus this new knowledge of what it was like 
to be a human that got a cancer diagnosis and to watch what happened to my caregivers, to watch what happened to my loved ones during that time. And I was like, people need help with this. People need support with this. And so that's how I started, you know, Space to Thrive. And that's how I started doing the work that I started doing was specifically for cancer patients and their caregivers. If I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. at Space to Thrive, when I visited, you had mentioned that this place had come to you in a dream. It did. So tell me, like, (laughs) what, what, what was the, what, how did you, how did that place become to be? Yeah, well, um, so when I was doing the retreats originally, I was always going to another venue. So I would rent out, you know, cottages in, you know, Kentucky, or I would go take people to the beach somewhere, or um, we'd go to Jekyll. And so I was constantly, like, basically renting somebody else's space Mm -hmm. in order to bring my people there and at the same time I had you know I was married and I had four kids and they were all middle school and high school and super busy and so it was really hard to constantly be gone on the weekends for these retreats for other people even though that's what I wanted to be doing Um, but to have to then sacrifice and give up my family and give up my home and my family time and so um I was actually doing I, – I do a lot of, like, future projection work. And mm-hmm. so I was doing this, like, see your future self, you know, get off the spaceship. It's, you know, five years down the road. Where are you? What do you see? What do you see around you? And I had all of these ideas that I put in my journal that I just kind of filed away, right? Because mm-hmm. I journal a lot and write a lot of stuff down that comes to me. And then about two months later, my husband was like, hey, let's go for a drive. And we got in the car and he took me on a drive and we pull off and turn onto this road and the road's name was Rolling Hills Road. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. In my journal, when I was projecting my future self, I wrote down the words Rolling Hills. I thought it was going to mean like Rolling Hills, but it was actually the name of the street. And then he's like, this place is for sale. You want to check it out? And so... We got out of the car and talked to the homeowner and she's like, oh, no, I've taken it off the market. It's not for sale anymore. And I was like, this is too weird because like my future self saw this happening. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but I can show you around anyway. And I was like, yeah, show us around. So she takes us. We walk around the pond. We get to the far side of the pond and my whole body got covered in goosebumps. And I was like, oh, my gosh, in that futuring session that I saw of myself, I saw myself standing next to a body of water Somewhere, And that future self of me had said to me, trust the process. Mm. And my whole, I have goosebumps right now. I just got them too. (laughs) My whole body was covered in goosebumps and the whole trust the process. And I looked at my husband and said, I don't know what else to tell you other than this we, is this the place. Is, we, we, this, this is, is the, the place. I, I know that this it says that. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, she ain't for sale, yeah. but we're going to make and, it happen. And he's like, uh, sorry, but, and he's like, he's acts of services is love language. And so he like wants to give me what sure. I want. And he's like, uh, don't know what to do with this because not for sale, honey. But, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is the one. The Rolling Hills name. The I saw my future self standing on the side of the water. I heard trust the process. And so um, we left and he like started talking with her and she was like, no, I'm sorry. It's just not it's not in the cards right now. Mm. Um, And then six weeks later, she called back and said, I'm ready to negotiate. Wow. And then he negotiated with her. And a month later, we moved in. That's amazing. It's so great. Let's talk about one thing that stands out to me, and it's this concept of goosebumps, mm-hmm. right? 
So because I in in my business in my business dealings, there are times when the boost the goose bumps come. Yep. What is that? Yeah. That that's got to be something, that's right? Your, that's your uh, that's your higher self is letting it? you know you're in alignment and doing what's right. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I love it when other people can feel it because that just means energetically. That it's not only powerful enough for you, but it's powerful enough to have impact on other people. That's nice. Yeah, I like it's incredible. It. Uh, so, space to thrive uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh, right now, what is what is the facility doing? Sure. Is it still kind of like following the, in the same kind of like line of work? You know, entrepreneurship, right? You never know what's going to happen. What's about to happen. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So when we first bought it, it's a ten acre. You know, I call it a green space, blue space. So green space being, you know. Like we've got a walking labyrinth and we've got yeah. gardens where we grow stuff and and then blue space, which is the water, right? We yeah. were staying up paddle boarding and stuff on the water. Um, it was going gangbusters and then because um, we moved in in 2017, mm-hmm. December of 2017. Um, then COVID hits, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden people aren't doing in-person retreats. They're not doing in-person offsites. And so for me, for my business, I had to pivot and start doing a lot more work um, virtually and virtual mm-hmm. trainings and, you know, identifying new clients and customers I could work with virtually. And in the meantime, we then, I, I call it pulling the arrow back in the bow, right? Mm-hmm. We had to like stop the forward progress, put the arrow in the bow and pull back. So during the pullback, you know, we made some enhancements to the property. We, you know, converted some things. We're still in the process of doing some construction of, of some of the new um you know, buildings and outbuildings and stuff that we have on the property. Um, but then again, ironically, um, as we were building one of the new buildings on the property, there's a small property right along next to it that I said to my husband, at some point, that's going to be ours too, right? Uh-huh. And he just happened to be talking to the homeowner one day and being like, hey, if you ever want to sell this, let us know. We'd like first right of refusal. And the guy said, ironic you should say that because I'm getting ready to sell it. So um, actually next week we're closing on more land to add to it with more buildings, more out parcels. There's a common theme right now. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's you. You, yeah. you have I'm it. I'm a manifester. <laughs> I am a manifester. Yeah. And it, again, it's like it doesn't make sense to anybody else and to try to explain it or describe it or again like back to my family who they're very you know more traditional when it comes to life they're like wait what are you doing now Mm -hmm. like why are you buying more property why are you doing this and it's like because it's all part of I don't know what the grand plan is but it's very clearly part of the grand plan because to me when it's effortful it's wrong Mm. but when you have the alignment it just kind of falls into place and you just have to be open and ready to receive it as it comes. This is so interesting to me because in business, there's all these, there's like a decision tree, right? And so, you know, it seems as if like, you know, for you, there's, there's pieces that just kind of like, the path clears. Mm. Is that the best path to usually take? Mm. Or do you want to have that struggle, right? Yeah. Because like that, that's a huge question. Because like oftentimes in a business, like you'll hear them like struggling for many, many years and then it, they get across it, right? Yeah. So how, how do you kind of like perceive? Well, there's plenty of struggle <laughs> involved. In all, I mean, the struggle of like, shit, 
I wasn't ready to buy another property right now. I've mm. got these other construction projects going on that all my capital is going into. Like, I'm not ready to outlay a bunch of cash to buy a bunch more acreage and a house and whatever. But it's like, but it's now or never. Because one, I just said, you know, if this ever happens, we need to pounce. Mm -hmm. And then the door opens. And so it's like, okay, well, I have to pounce. So I mm -hmm. have to figure this out. Right? Yeah. And there's struggle in there. Right? Because it's like, oh, God, is this the right thing? This isn't like... This isn't the financial like trajectory that sure, I was planning sure. right now. But if I don't buy this property right now with what's going on with the state of real estate locally and the actual property touches my property, if I don't buy it now, I'll never be able to buy it because mm -hmm. if somebody else buys it, they're never going to sell it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, so those decisions on the outside, maybe after the fact, might look to, I always say it's like a swan that's gliding across the water. It looks like they're gliding so peacefully, but underwater, they're like, ah! you know? So I think, you know, thanks to my coach, thanks to my therapist, thanks to good friends, thanks to like having pruned the wrong people out of my life and mm. having the right people in my life right now, there's plenty of people that see my feet paddling. But maybe to the outside world, it just looks like the swan is gliding. Mm. But the swan's not gliding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can. It so does. how do we get to Burning Man? Oh, gosh. It's a 20-year, it was a 20-year game of patience. Um, so in this work that I've been doing since my cancer diagnosis, it has been about pressing pause and getting clarity on who I am and what I want. It's returning to me after mm. dedicating myself to corporations and my children and other obligations for so many years that there's been this real strong pull to return to who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's hard work. That's the really hard work because... I wear a lot of masks and I do a lot of things and a lot of people have expectations of me and perceptions of me that I have to um, tear down. Mm. And um, Burning Man is, for me, something that I've always had my eye set on, my sights set on, because right now my best friend from college is the art director at Burning Man. That's and awesome. she's been a burner um, basically since we graduated from college. And when we graduated from college, you know, even though we graduated from college together and had amazing experiences in college, I took a left turn and she took a right turn. So my left turn looked like moving to France and getting married and having kids and becoming corporate Jill and soccer mom and all that kind of stuff. And her right turn looked like living in India and living in Bali and living in Boston and San Francisco and starting to be a burner and really getting involved in Burning Man until she got to the point where she got hired by them. And during this time, I always looked at her life with such envy. It was like, oh, I want to be over there doing what Katie's doing. I want I want to be living in India. I want to be living in Bali. Mm. And so I'd go visit her and you know we obviously stayed in friends all all over those years but then another one of those goosebump stories is that my kids are now grown right and she has since decided to um she got married actually the weekend i got diagnosed with breast cancer mm. and um then she was ready to have a family and um at one point i said to her hey if you ever do end up having kids I'll come to Burning Man and watch your kids for you while you're working. Uh -huh. But I kind of said it in jest, like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, well, I, I would can't really go to Burning Man to go take care of her kid. And then all of a sudden, she, she got called. pregnant. <laughs> yeah. 
And so it was so it was one of those goosebump moments of like, I kind of like I saw this coming, right? Like I had this vision that you were going to have a baby and that I was going to be at Burning Man with you. But then all of a sudden it was like, but that means I really got to go to Burning Man now. So last year was the first time that I went. Um, Little Max was a year and a half last year and um, made the trek, you know, got in my, I rented a minivan in Statesboro, drove all the way to Nevada. It's wow. 2,800 miles. Wow. 39 hours in the car, just me with all my crap. Really? In the back of the minivan and showed up in Nevada not really having a clue what was about to happen. Mm. And it was um, the most amazing, mind-blowing, communal, therapeutic challenging experience you could possibly imagine and when it ended last year i was like let's go let's do it again i'm going every year like katie i'm a we call it a playa nanny so when you're at burning man you're on the playa so i'm a playa nanny and my my playa name is jilly poppins because that's my role to take care of her kids i'm kind of like mary poppins i've got this carpet bag but what do you need i pull out all the magic and so it was like i had such a great time last year that when it came time to you know plan for it again this year it was was like not no brainer no brainer and it's like i will be going for the rest of my life as long as i can mm. it is um that amazing of an experience what uh for for people that have never been yeah you know let's let, paint yeah. us the picture right yeah. like so what what is this experience sure so burning man is founded on 10 principles we can get into those later and people can look them up um but it is a temporary community that gets built in the nevada desert that is self-sustaining for eight days so people um technically you know the event starts on a sunday the following so during that whole week there's a whole community so there's 75,000 people that show up to this desert in Nevada and they have to be completely self-reliant so you have to bring all your things there's no there's no commodification there's no exchange of money there's nothing to be bought or sold while you're um, at Black Rock City so you have to bring all the things or you know have all the things that you need to survive in basically the harshest climate possible. Mm. Most years, it's super hot, super dusty, um, super inhospitable. They say that the playa is actively trying to kill all of us on mm. a regular basis. This year, that was a different case. <laughs> um but what happens at Burning Man is you have everything. You have everything ranging from rotary meetings to AA meetings to yoga classes to art classes to raves to you know anything that you can possibly imagine that could happen in a normal city gets compressed down to 75,000 people doing it in the middle of the Nevada desert. But we all have these 10 principles in mind of... Um, radical self-reliance and community effort and participation and immediacy and gifting. And it just creates this community of people that is unlike any other community you could possibly imagine being a part of. Why does it do that? Right. Like, so obviously, like, you know, there's this like fight. Right. Yeah. Like when, when you are on the playa, yeah. uh, there is this kind of like element of like survival. Sure. And so what does that do to people as they kind of like go to that event and come out? Because it sounds yeah. like they've got you hooked. Yeah. Right? Like you, yeah. you are I, all I, about I, it. I drank the Kool-Aid, man. I'm all in. <laughs> um, I think that's it. So it's a community of doers. It's the most maker community you can possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the people that are drawn to Burning Man are people that are love to roll up their sleeves. Do like you like we get there during what's called Build Week, which is the week before. There is when we get there, there's 500 people on Playa. By the time the event is over, there's 75,000 people. So everything has to be built. So the road have to be built. The shade structures are built. The experiences are built, right? Because every camp does a different experience. And so you show up there with your tool bag, with your 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 problem solving mindset with you roll up your sleeves and you look around you're like who needs help how can I help how can I engage how can I be a part of this and you freaking build it mm. out of nothing mm. and then when it's over you tear it all down and you leave no trace mm-hmm. so it's gone yeah and so it's this it's moment like, in time it is and everyone that's there is there for this shared collective experience and um and they always say the playa provides, right? So, and and they also say uh, you get the burn you need, not the burn you want. Mm. So most everybody there at some point in time has some sort of like mental breakdown. Um, everybody finds support from the community around them. The first year that I went, it was the first time that I'd ever been surrounded by that many people who just thanked me for being there and being alive and showing up authentically. Um, you you drop all your masks because you can't have masks when no you point. live in an environment that's trying to kill you. Um, and everybody is on a level playing field. You could be talking to you know a tech billionaire or you could be talking to a yoga instructor and you have no idea what people do off playa because we don't talk about who we At are all? in the default world. Really? And so you're all even and you're not there for any other reason other than to have this communal experience that's blowing my mind right now mm-hmm. because so so many times like when i have conversations uh it's really about kind of like the things that i'm doing right that's sure. almost i almost at times like ask people like oh what's new yeah. what's new what yeah. you working on yeah. right but the fact that that none of that you even don't. matters anymore and if you'd have that conversation at burning man they're kind of looking at you like mm, why are you bringing up my default world stuff i'm here right now for the immediacy of right now and i'm not at work i'm at burning man yeah and so it's like um, I remember last year I camped with somebody for a full week and it was on the very, very, very last day that I learned that he was a dentist. No. And I was like, no way, <laughs> no way, that's not possible. But he, I'd been camping with him and experiencing things with him, you know, for a whole week and had no idea what he did off playa. So what do people, where do people, like where, what, what are the conversations that are happening? Oh gosh, what are the conversations? You know, a lot of, so, so Burning Man really is uh, all about the art and the um, participation in the desert and so a lot of the conversation is like hey i saw this really cool piece or you should go out deep playa and see that or man i climbed all over this one it was freaking awesome you got to go check it out or it's like hey they're giving away peaches around the corner or did you go to that meditation session this morning so we're talking about what's immediately in front of us and the things that we're actively experiencing right here right now in front of Mm. us and none of us is working you know and so um this year was different. There was a lot more Starlink on Playa, so people had a little bit more access to the default world and all that kind of stuff, especially once we got into the chaos of the end of the week. Um, but most of the time, most people are completely unplugged and disconnected, and they're not on social media. They're not on their phones. Mm. They're not thinking about work. They're just having conversations and having experiences with the people that are right there in front of them. That's wild. So great. What a, what a, what a, like, 
shift in kind of like totally. the way that you know you perceive yeah. the world um what uh you mentioned that something happened differently for this year <laughs> where yeah just a little if you, bit if you've been under a rock you might not know that there was an adverse weather event that yeah happened at burning man this year yeah that sparked a lot of interest in burning man by those that had never heard of it before i i i, <laughs> uh, I was on tiktok and uh-huh. i was and i i knew we had spoken before yeah, you were like yeah. It's about time to go. (laughs) (laughs) And and then, you know, I saw the reports as like, you know, oh like thousands are are stuck. Stranded. Yeah, stranded. National Guard is dropping off food. And I was mentioning mentioning (laughs) this to you earlier. I was like, in my in the back of my mind, I was like, they'll be fine. Like they they are the people that if anybody is to get stuck, like I would I would understand uh, some of these other festivals, if they got stuck, it would be a major issue. If you're at lightning in a bottle and all of a sudden like a monsoon (laughs) happens or whatever, it's like uh, not good. Not good. Good. But this was Burning Man. I mean, this is 73,000 survivalists mm. that are all pre-warned before we get there that we have to bring enough water and food mm-hmm. and clothing and power and all the things that we need to survive in a desert for 10 days. Who cares that it's raining? Yeah. All it did now is make it a little bit muddy, made it more exciting, <laughs> gave us something to talk about. But to the outside world where they're like, oh, my gosh, things have been disrupted. These people must be in dire straits. We were all like. We're not in dire straits. Like, this is great. Turn it up. <laughs> We're stuck here. We can't go home. It's like it was like a huge lock-in. Like, you know those church lock-ins? Uh-huh. Except for like there's no church around. Yeah. Right. And we're all stuck here for we don't know how long. But we had plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of community, plenty of good times to survive. We could have all been there, you know, for many days. Now, some people that weren't prepared for that, because there are some people that just show up at Burning Man just for the party, right? Sure. And they aren't prepared the way that they probably should be sure they were like i gotta go yeah right i get me out of here and so that's that like fight or flight survivalist thing that kicked in but if that was a thousand out of the seventy-two thousand, that sure. meant that seventy-two thousand were like turn it up let's yeah. go you know so so it didn't phase anybody that was there you know, it phased people because typically we're covered in dust and it's hot. Last year it was 110 degrees. It was hot. It was dusty, whatever. And this year it was cold and wet and uh-huh. muddy and mucky. And so it's like, oh, dang, yeah, we've got to do this differently. Like, I need more blankets or I need to put plastic bags on my feet before I go walk around. Otherwise, I'm going to have, like, mud stuck to my shoes. But Again, like radical self-reliance and resiliency are burners. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, you don't have plastic bags. I've got plenty of extra. You want some? Sure. Like, oh, you need another pair of socks because yours got wet or muddy? Here, I have more. Take mine. Yeah. And everybody just did that. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so great. Nobody I'd rather be stuck with, you know, than a bunch of burners. Um, What, uh, how do tickets work? Like, Uh, is that? Yeah. Tickets is the thing. Tickets is a hot conversation piece um you know so it's an event that started with six people on a beach in san francisco no way yeah and then it has grown into this you know massive nonprofit organization that is Mm -hmm. burning man project and i think you know demand had gotten to you know 75,000 ish people that wanted to go especially last year because there were two years where Burning Man was canceled because of the pandemic sure and so last year people were just chomping at the bit to get back to Burning Man and so I think um, 
last year, all the tickets got gobbled up, no problem. And I think this year there was an assumption that that same thing was going to happen. And so all the tickets got sold. But then as we got closer to the event, some people weren't able to go or decided that it wasn't going to be their thing this year, whatever. So there was an aftermarket for, um, you know, like tickets that were uh, um, available for people but I think it was in the you know hundreds maybe a thousand handful kind of thing but other than that it's a pretty um, it's a pretty hard ticket to get you yeah gotta, you know be signed on get your burner profile and be ready for the sales and then there's kind of a lottery system that happens and oh it's, it's not you're not guaranteed you that you mm-hmm. get one so Burning Man, there's camps. So you can be part of a theme camp. And the theme camp not only has a theme for like what the camp physically look lo- looks like, but also the camps provide different gifts um, mm-hmm. out to the community. And so if you're part of a theme camp, the theme camp will get X number of tickets for their theme camp. And then mm-hmm. you can apply to be a part of a theme camp. Or you can buy open camping tickets and just, you know, try to get it the normal way. Got you. Got yeah. you. Um, talk about the art that's there, mm, the right? Art. Because you, you said that your yeah. friend is the art director for she the is. entire is. grounds. Yeah. So the art, um, there's two different types of art at Burning Man. There's art that's honorarium art where Burning Man Project actually um, gives artists money to be able to build their art and bring it to the playa and mm. set it up. And then there um, there's just free um, I don't know what it's called technically, but like free range art where it's mm-hmm. like you don't you don't get an honorarium, but as an artist, you can go and register it and they'll place you on the playa. So there's over 400 pieces of art that are all over Just the playa. Yeah, the way the city is set up, it's set up kind of in a U mm-hmm. and the U is where we live. And then at the center of the U is the man mm-hmm. that gets burnt on Saturday night. Out from that is the temple, which is another thing we can talk about. And then all around that is where the art gets placed. And so technically Burning Man is, you know, an art community in the desert. And so you could spend all day, every day chasing down art and looking at art and you would still never see all of it. Oh, wow. Like they hire documentarians to try to go capture all the pieces. And some years they don't even get photos of all the pieces that are out there. It's incredible. And it ranges from... It ranges from really small, minor things to these massive, mind-blowing art pieces, and they're all equally incredible uh-huh. because you just like stumble upon them, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, look at this!" and "Oh my gosh, look at that!" and wow. um, and then there's the daytime experience and the nighttime experience, right? So everything at night is lit up and LEDs and interactive and you know magical, and then during the day it looks different because it's ethereal with like the dust and the mountains and the big open expanse of the playa. So it's like, even if you see the art during the day, you could see the art at night and, and it, it looks would be a completely totally different. different experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's incredible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, with your experiences, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, through corporate world, through yeah. kind of like, you know, the challenges that you face, now kind of like experiencing uh, Burning Man as a whole. Mm-hmm. I-, I think what I'm interested to hear is what makes a great leader mm. right yeah. because like your i think your perspective is probably like you've seen kind of like various different kind of yes. like different uh organizations and company cultures yes. and if you want to con- include burning as a yeah. as a culture yeah right so what what is the elements that makes mm. a phenomenal leader you know i i got to witness firsthand with burning man this year you know kind of the the shit show that was burning man because of the weather and because of where i was camping i was camping with other um, Burning Man org 
leaders mm-hmm. and got to witness their response to this you know, natural disaster, if you will, in real time. And I can really say that what I witnessed there was a sign of good leadership. And, and what I'll start with is that Burning Man has built a really solid leadership team. So there's people at the helm of Burning Man, right? But then there's all these Mm -hmm. sub-departments. And they have spent a great deal of time curating good subject matter experts and leaders over all of those specific verticals. And then the person who is, you know, the director of event ops, his role is to empower those people. Mm -hmm. And what I witnessed happening over and over, over the course of the, you know, the week or so that I was with them was they were seeking his approval. Like, Hey, did I just make a good decision here? How do you feel about this? And, um, and he was able to corroborate that and say, yes, I agree with this decision. I like your logic of how you came to that. I think that that was really wise how you did that. And so the leadership lesson in that is take the time to curate the good team around you and then empower and entrust those people to make good decisions, but have that trust but verify feedback loop where you're creating an environment where they feel safe and comfortable coming to you mm-hmm. and asking your opinion and that you you create a space where that dialogue is free and open, but at the same time as the leader, your job is to continue to empower the people around you that really are the subject matter experts. I love that. Um, so th- that begs the next question mm-hmm. is how does the leader determine whether or not this person is Mm -hmm. qualified to be a part of like the team. Yeah, I think that's important too. And that's a lot of the work that I do now with companies is um, you got to get the culture right first. Mm. You got to know what the culture is and what the what, what's right for um, the culture and the deliverables of your organization. And then recognize that not everybody's going to fit that culture and that if they're not a good fit with your culture, they might be a good fit in a different culture. And so creating the space where we don't feel like just because they're here and just because they're a part of their team and just because we hired them at some point means we have to hold on to them. It's more like, let me let them go. Let me let them be free to go over to this other company culture that might be a better fit for them because this culture might not be perfectly aligned with who they are Mm -hmm. and getting out of that mindset of like we have to like keep people or force people to conform to us or mold to us it's more like let's be clear on what the culture is and then test people out to see if they fit with that culture and if they don't fit with that culture both parties being comfortable with letting those each people other. go mm. to find the culture that does fit because there's nothing worse than trying to shoehorn the wrong people into a culture mm-hmm. and there's nothing worse than a culture being um watered down because we've brought in too many people that don't fit that actual culture um this next question is actually going to be really interesting because yeah. uh, uh i'm a little bit curious now oh. uh as an entrepreneur why should I attend the Burning Man Festival? Mm. Because I think we get in our heads. I think we get in our own way a lot. And I think, one, to be forced into this space where we don't know what's going to be thrown at us. And so we have to get out of our own way and just see how naturally we are going to solve problems and tackle problems. I think that's one thing. But then also 
the whole environment at Burning Man is about creativity. And um, whether it's creating art or creating a theme camp or creating a whole community. And so you're just surrounded. You, you can't not be surrounded by creativity. Mm. And if you as an entrepreneur can't step out of Burning Man with new ideas mm. for yourself and your life and your business, it's like you've missed the point. Mm. All right. I'm so let's, go. let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> Get your tent. Let's go. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. Um, yeah, that's that's just such a fascinating. Uh, I look like I feel like I've been peering into a window, mm. like being able to see kind of like just a different way to survive, right? Mm. I think you know, as society, we <laughs> spend so much time, you know, with kind of these constructs that are everywhere and yes. and we uh, establish ourselves based on that mm. and you know being able to kind of like release that even if it's for a short period of time yeah. has I'm, I'm sure it has massive impact on the way that oh, yeah. you carry yourself even you know in in the default, default world, world that yeah. you that you yeah. that you call it so well and they you know i think that's the draw i think you know so burning man gets a bad rap of you know being where the tech billionaires go and hang out blah 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 and it's like well there probably are some i know there were some tech billionaires there and they go there for the purpose yeah. of unplugging from the boardroom unplugging from what the investors need unplugging from like running their daily operations to get themselves back into this space of you know, pure expansiveness, mm -hmm. right? And how many incredible business ideas or entrepreneurial ideas probably came as a result of mm. something that happened while they were at Burning Man, you know? Um, but then also the trap right now, right, is, and they kind of warn you, they, you know, this, this period after Burning Man is called decompression. Mm. So all of us are kind of decompressing from what we just experienced. And they kind of warn you, they're like, don't get divorced, don't quit your job, <laughs> Don't start a new company in the 30 days after Burning Man, right? Because you're in Really this, think yeah. about it. <laughs> like, give it a push, push pause on it and give it some time. So it's like, okay, October 1, if I still feel this yeah. way, I'll do it, right? Um, but it does, it like, it, it, it pulls something up out of you of like, oh, yeah, I see it differently. I want to try this new thing. I want to go this different route. And um, I think everybody needs to experience that. And it's... It's part of the confusion why I think the default world was afraid that we were all dying on Playa during mm. the rain was it's like, well, what do you do if you can't run to the store to buy water? What mm. do you do if your power goes out? What do you do? If, and it's like, well, we, we've prepared for that. We've planned for that. We can survive that. We were, we were expecting that. Mm. And now all we have left is space to play. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what's next? Mm. What you got? What you got going on kind of like now? Now that you've come come off of a fresh burn. Yeah. Um, you know, so this new this new property that we're buying that butts up to it, um, we're gonna be calling that space to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and space to grow is gonna have some really specific um, deliverables, some pretty specific target audience work that we're gonna be working on, just kind of helping people with that growth, whether it's personal growth, professional growth, you know, business growth, that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So that's what's that's what's coming. And I got a lot of clarity while I was at Burning Man about what that looks like. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. How do people get connected with you? Um, so I have a website. It's jill-johns, J-O-H-N-S.com. And that's probably the best way. Um, I'm on socials and stuff, but I mostly, you know, I'm a relationship 
business. And so a lot of times it's just people reaching out and connecting with me. And if I'm right for you, I'm right for you. And if I'm not, there's somebody else out there for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Joe, it was a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing your experiences. Uh, I feel really excited about <laughs> kind of like this, uh, this next burn potentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> just kind on. of like, yeah, but it, but it honestly, it, it really is eye opening. Um, you know, for me, it's just really that, uh, dropping, everything mm -hmm. and just falling to your true self yep. and being able to kind of like uh, step into that and live that mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, so. I highly recommend. Ten, I, You know, people ask, like, should everybody go to Burning Man? I'm like, no, I don't think everybody should go to Burning Man. But I think if you're, if this conversation appeals to you, mm -hmm. you should definitely investigate. And then you've got a bunch of pre-work to do before you go your first time so you don't turn up to be one of those thousand <laughs> people that had to bail. Uh -huh. you know? Um but if you're willing to put in the work and willing to like, you know, investigate what it would take to be able to do it, I think you'll be so proud of yourself on the back end of what you're able to accomplish that it'll like make you want to do even more of that in the default world and on fire. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cool.